0: Good morning everybody. We're back to this. (laughs) Hey, a couple things I want to say before we get started. One, I hope that you have a wonderful day watching at home as many of you are. Thank you so much for tuning in online. Like Megan said, um, when you look back at 2020, yeah, it did a lot of things. One of the things I'm really thankful for is it made this possible to where when something like this happens, like I've thought a lot about it today of, hey, we don't ever have to use the word canceled anymore. Uh, thanks to technology. Yes, it's online, but we still get the opportunity to gather together, and I am super, super excited about that. And so today, we are going to be doing a lot of different things. Um, one, we are starting a new series, and I'm really, really excited about it. I've um, been looking at this really since about October, November, and at South Point, a bulk of the teaching that we do whenever we're preaching is what's known as exegetical. Um, that's a big, fun church word that just means we walk through a book verse by verse. And you've heard me say, I love doing that because it doesn't let me skirt anything. I can't get around something. If I see a verse and I go, man, I might step on someone's toes, that could be taken out of context, I don't get the opportunity to do it because you'll know if I skipped over something. And about the only time that we've really done that was the first week of online service where the message was more PG-13 and we said, we don't want you to gather all your family together, so we came back to it once we were in person. But we're going to start looking at a book in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. And today's message is really to kind of get us immersed in who this guy is and what's going on at the time. And so it's going to be a little bit different from a teaching standpoint because we've got to lay a foundation to kind of know what's going on here because this is going to be a little bit different. This is an Old Testament book. Um, And it's going to center around a theme. And so to kind of start us off today, we've got some pictures for you to be able to look at. And I was going to kind of test people, and we don't have a ton of people in the crowd this morning. So if you're watching online, feel free to try and be the first person to post if you know what this is. But we're going to look at a couple of famous walls, and we'll start with this one. Hopefully everyone knows the Great Wall of China. You know, if you're going to start, start big. Um, Over 5,000 miles long, built over several different dynasties. Um, You can't really see it from space. That's kind of a misunderstanding of it. But this thing is absolutely massive. It is very defining. When you see it, everyone knows we've watched movies like Mulan where it's been in play. It was built to keep invaders out. And so you've got the Great Wall of China that's still standing. The next one's this. Um, Anyone? Nope. Theodosian Walls. The city of Constantinople, a long time ago, an emperor built what's known as the Theodosian Walls. And for all intents and purposes, back in the day, this was unbreakable, unless it was an earthquake that knocked it down one time. You had a smaller rail, and if you got over that, there were going to be people shooting at you from up there, and if you got over that, there were going to be people shooting you from there. It kind of looks like Minas Tirith from Lord of the Rings. And it stood for over a thousand years until the invention of gunpowder. And a bunch of Turks built one of the biggest cannons ever to blow it apart. Um, So that one stands out pretty big. Next one is this. Anybody? Hadrian's Wall. Um, This was in England. It's about 70 miles long, and it was built basically as on this side is the world proper, and on the other side of it is those crazy, unconquerable Scotsmen um, that some of us have some yeah, I have some family lineage in. Yeah, we, we come from a little crazy. And so Rome said, you know what? Let's keep the crazy over there, and we'll, we'll keep the, uh, we use different forks for different meals over here. Um, and that one still stands. You can see that one in England. Next one, one that's kind of recognizable for most Americans, the Vietnam Memorial Wall. On this wall, there's over 58,000 names written of people that passed away in that um, conflict um, it's, it's, it hits home a little bit because we look at some of these older ones, and this one, uh, I have no doubt either people in this room are watching online, you know names that are written on that wall. I've had the opportunity to visit that, and it is an unbelievably sobering experience to just see name after name and to see these people coming up and scribbling names onto paper with pencils so that they can remember someone that they knew in that conflict. Next one is this. This one will attach to the series itself. This is Jerusalem. This is what's known as the Western Wall. Now, this isn't the wall that Nehemiah built. Um, This was built later, um, about 500 years after Nehemiah. Um, But it still stands today. It's one of the only remaining portions of what used to be known as the Temple Mount. This is an unbelievably sacred spot in the city of Jerusalem. And you'll see tons of people that are praying facing that wall. And if you ever have the opportunity to visit there... Um, It is a sombering experience as well um, because right behind that you see that big gold thing. That's the temple of the rock or the dome of the rock. And that's where the temple of God used to stand until 70 A.D. when it was completely destroyed and the walls knocked down. Um, But that portion still remains today. Next one is, anybody? Anybody? Berlin Wall, okay, we got that one. We're getting a little bit into modern history. The wall that separated East and West Berlin and you've got President Reagan tear down that wall and then it came down and you can buy portions of it. I think a kid brought it back I've somewhere. I've got a piece of that wall in a box somewhere that I've completely lost, I've remembered. And then next one, this one is the remains of Troy. Now, this is what archaeologists have kind of unearthed, and this is from the ancient city of Troy. And these walls look pretty bad because there was some horseplay in Troy. I have been waiting since Wednesday. I told my wife on Wednesday, I came up with the worst pastor joke, and I can't wait to use it. I can't wait. We'd laugh about dad jokes somewhere. Thomas is here. We'd text each other dad jokes. Dad jokes have existed for a long time. They were called preacher jokes. Um, and they're just painful and they're corny. And I was so happy to be able to say that one. And that finishes up the, kind of some famous walls from history. Now, here's something as we go into this. Um, if you're watching online, maybe you're in another country, and that's awesome. That's the cool thing about this technology. Um, but a lot of us are an American crowd. Um, when you hear the word wall, in 2021 we are conditioned to think something and that's just a reality and we can have a lot of different thoughts and so here's where i want to lay some of our foundation Um, we can have a lot of thoughts for against all of those things but here's what i need us to do i need us to take those thoughts and they need to be put aside because we're going to be talking about walls for weeks and weeks and weeks in a very different context we're talking about walls in the sense that in ancient times these were your defense Because there were people that would commonly come in to destroy your family, to take your land, to take your possessions. And so major cities built these massive, massive walls of protection. And today we think of it in a lot of politically charged elements. And so I need us to take that out as we look into the book of Nehemiah. Now when we get into Nehemiah, there's going to be some themes and some elements that we kind of have to have a little bit of an understanding. Because for a lot of people, reading through scripture, when you get into the Old Testament, it's a little different. Because we are going to be, for the first time, at least since I've been here, walking through an Old Testament book. We've walked through Ephesians, we've walked through Philippians, we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount. Old Testament books were written thousands of years ago. um, And they were written from a different culture. Uh, When you get into the New Testament, you do have some narrative, but you have a lot of teaching. You have a lot of theology, like the study of God and, and these elements of the new covenant and grace. And when you get into the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament is written from a narrative standpoint. And Israelites and Jewish people wrote differently than modern writers do. That's why in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tell the same story. And a lot of times people get f- confused and go, well, is that, is that two different storytellings of, of creation of man? No, because when Jewish people would write, a lot of times we write first, begin, or first middle, last. That's just kind of how we write stories. Israelites wrote first, last, middle. And so they would come back and have like this big brushstroke of the big story, and then they would come back and they would fill in all the little details. And so as we look at a narrative, the book of Nehemiah is primarily a narrative book, and so it's going to be a little different there. And sometimes people go, well, when it comes to that, we only need to look at the New Testament. We only need to look at the, the new covenant and this, the, you know, when Jesus came, and we can kind of toss out the Old Testament. The Old Testament is unbelievably important to the New Testament. The Old Testament, as we walk through Nehemiah, and you walk through any book in it, at at some point I want to also work in several other books that are going on at the same time. There is so much to learn. The Old Testament, when you look at it in its entirety, is a story that mankind needs something greater than itself. And it points us towards a Savior. And there's going to be a lot that we learn in Nehemiah. You also have to understand that this is taking place a long time ago. Um, For us... Sometimes we think a long time ago was like a year ago. It's like, man, it's a long year. Um, this book was written about 2,500 years ago, talking about a city that existed 3,000 years ago. Um, when it comes to a time standpoint, we are talking about things from a long, long, long time ago in a culture that looks different than our own. Like, we're all a Western culture, and this is an Eastern culture. Um, and so we have to understand that. Some of the big things in Nehemiah, one, if you are wanting to grow as a leader in 2021, Nehemiah is a great place to look. Nehemiah was a phenomenal leader. Um, as we get into, he, the, the story really is this man named Nehemiah returning to Jerusalem, a city that had been destroyed and burned, and he rebuilds the walls of the city. It's about a mile and a half to two and a half miles worth of wall that he rebuilt. Other people had tried to do it on several occasions, and they failed. Nehemiah rebuilt a city wall in ancient times without modern equipment in 52 days. It was an absolute marvel of humanity. And to do that takes a phenomenal amount of leadership. And so it's one, like, I'm always trying to grow in this area, and Nehemiah has already taught me a lot. And so if you're, if you're wanting to grow as a leader within your household, as a leader within our community, Nehemiah is going to teach you a lot of things. Next, it's going to teach us to deal with adversity. I don't know if you've ever dealt with adversity before, but my guess is in the last year you probably have. Uh, Nehemiah is going to get a lot of opposition to what he tries to do. And how you respond to adversity and how you try and manage that and tackle that will show a lot about where you stand with Jesus. And Nehemiah is going to teach us a lot about adversity. It's going to teach us about oppression. Oppression. I know a lot of times we feel like the last year and maybe even more than that, maybe it's just kind of a theme of your life. You feel like, man, there's been so much oppression, and we talk about it a lot now, and we try and define what our right is and what our rights are not, and it's just a hot button today. We do not understand it like these people did. This was a culture that literally had been taken over, and none of us have experienced that. And we've experienced a lot of crazy. I'll say this week was one of the craziest weeks I've ever seen in the history of the United States of America. I'm not going to get into a lot of it, I'm just going to say we don't, we don't stand with that, um, but when it comes to oppression we'll learn a lot about what real oppression is because as far as I know none of us and maybe if you're watching online I, I do know people that have actually experienced that but I know I haven't but we get to learn a lot from it. But the biggest thing that we're going to learn in the latter half of the book what does it look to turn back to God? Sometimes we take our focus off of God and we focus on other things. And sometimes we take our focus off God and we try and put ourselves a little bit further than we need to and go, no, under my own power, I can deal with this. Under my own power, I, I bet I could build that wall. I can, I can be a leader. I can motivate people. I can, I can get them to do things that they may, maybe they didn't want to do. But what we'll find is if you try and do it on your own, it fails. Several people had already tried to do what Nehemiah does and they had failed miserably. People have probably lost their lives over it, livelihoods, and he's going to show that, hey, when we turn back to God, when we put our focus on who he is, what his son has done, what his spirit can empower us to do in our lives, when we turn back to God, we see a better outcome. And these are some of the things that we get to see in the book of Nehemiah. So as we start the book of Nehemiah, we're actually not going to start there. Um, The title of this message is 141 Years in 30 Minutes, and I'm halfway through that. So let's get going. 2 Kings chapter 25. In 2 Kings chapter 25, really what I want to do this morning is kind of set up the first verses in Nehemiah. And to understand what's going on there, you have to understand a little bit of the history of the city of Jerusalem. And so in in 2 Kings chapter 25, in verse 8, it says this. Let me also say this. As we walk through an Old Testament book. My East Texas redneck is going to butcher a lot of names. I guarantee by the time I get home today, you can, you can point all of them out. My wife will as well. In the fifth month of the seventh day of the month, it was the 19th year of the king Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem, and the rest of the people were left in the city, and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, uh, Nez- uh, uh the captain of the guard carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. This is the year 586 B.C., by some of these dates can change by a year or so, but most of the ones I've looked at about 586 BC. That's 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years ago, the Jewish people inhabited this massive city of Jerusalem. Um, at the time, you had some big cities. This was a very big city in the Middle East. And they were living their lives. They had really kind of turned from God. And God had been very clear, hey, you follow me, you, you walk in my commandments, and I will bless you, I will keep you. If you return to me, I will, I will restore your country. But man, they had fallen so far away from following him. And exactly what God said would happen, happened. The one kingdom of Israel had already fallen, and in 586 B.C., the king of Babylon sends in his army, and they lay siege to the city. And that's something that most of us in modern times just cannot understand the amount of terror and worry and just tribulation that would come with that. You look at these massive walls of your city and you think this is what protects us and you see guards that would walk them and you would roll up these gates at night and torches would be lit and you felt safe in your home and then one day they looked out and there are thousands of warriors waiting to come into this place and they laid siege to it. And it, that's just something most of us just don't understand today. The crazy thing is, if you look through history, most major cities have experienced what we know as a siege and being sacked, where people broke in and they just took everything. Um, From uh, Rome in 410, uh, London, the city of London fell in 842, Paris in 845, Vikings kind of ran in and took over everything there, Uh, Mongols came into Kev in the Ukraine and in Baghdad and just sacked those cities that are still there today. We know that these places can be rebuilt, but man, it was bad. And of all the things, a city in America, in Texas, was once sacked. Linville, Texas, a group of Comanche warriors came in, and it was on the coast, and they raided this place, and the people just had to get in canoes and little boats and go out into the Gulf of Mexico, and they, they watched as their city was just destroyed and burned, and then everyone left. So some Americans have experienced that, but today we just don't know what that's like. And these people looked out, And I imagine some of them kind of crept up on the walls because they were curious. And then they stuck their head back down because an arrow or a spear came flying at them. And eventually Babylon broke into the city and they took as many of the people as they could and they carted up hundreds of miles off to Babylon to be slaves. And then these warriors came into this city and they burned it to the ground. They stole whatever they could. They went into the temple, this sacred, sacred place. We've talked about the fact that there were areas that no one could go but but priests and no one could go except for the the high priest on the holy day of the year and they went into this sacred place and they took these golden cups and they took lampstands and they took all of these things of god that we see in scripture and they carted them off just as plunder and one of their final acts they burned the gates and then using whatever means necessary to move these massive stones they ripped the walls of jerusalem down and thus the city of jerusalem fell in 586 B.C., most of its people were carted off to be exiles. If you were smart, you were people like Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you, you got to move up within the ranks of the king's court. But most of them just simply lived out their lives as slaves. They went from being free people to living as slaves. And we learn a couple things in this. One, when God says, obey and follow me, we need to actively do that. We know that his promises are true. We know that when we're walking in obedience, it's not that life is perfect But man, it's so good to walk with him, but it shows, one, there's a need for grace because these people just could not keep up. You take the Ten Commandments, the most basic aspect of morality. Children sing songs about them, but we know beyond a shadow of a doubt we can't keep simply ten of them. And some of them you go, yeah, I know I've lied. Yeah, I know I've I've desired something that wasn't mine. And then some of them you look at and go, well, hey, I haven't murdered anyone. But if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus blows that up and every one of us are murderers because at some point we've had anger in our hearts towards someone else. Humanity has a hard time following God's commandments. Praise God for grace. Praise God that we live in a time where Jesus has already come and he laid down his life so that we talked about last week. It's not about karma. It's not about your good outweighing your bad. The joy of Christianity and the joy of grace is that, man, he pours this out. Grace is undeserving person receiving from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift and the result is worship and thank God that we live in a time of grace because these people man they had just failed and then it cost them their livelihood then we skip forward to Daniel chapter 5 in Daniel chapter 5 in verse 30 it says this that very night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now, to kind of fill in some gap there, if you read through the book of Daniel, um, you have Nebuchadnezzar come in, and he rules as the ruler of Babylon. And Babylon just doesn't stand that long. They get to this Belshazzar leader, and he really kind of messes it up. And at one point, he kind of goes crazy and lives literally like an animal. And one night, his mind returns to him, and he gets it into his head, you know what, I'm going to throw a party, and I'm going to throw a party, and we're going to have all the nice stuff. Like, we would say, hey, get out to China. We, we have China. We've never used it at my house. But this is one of those moments they're like, hey, we're having a nice meal. I hear we have some golden bowls that we stole from the Jewish temple. Go get those, and let's drink wine out of them and just get hammered. And they have this party. And God is not to be mocked. And in the middle of this party, where these guys are probably well into their night, this hand appears and begins to write on the wall. And it turns out everyone is very terrified. Um, The king just about loses his mind. It says his knees began to knock. He collapses. He starts calling for all of his enchanters and magicians. Hey, get somebody in here to tell me what this is. And finally Daniel comes in. And it's not on the screen, but I'm going to read Daniel chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, And this was the writing that was inscribed, Meany, Meany, Tinkle, Perison. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tinkle, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. I love that term. For some reason, every time I read that, I'm like, man, you have been weighed and found wanting. You are not good enough. And he says, Perseus, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then... Belshazzar gave a command that he be clothed in purple and made a ruler of the kingdom. And then that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean, the king was killed. And so in this story, you have this passing on. So the Jews are still in captivity. Now they're just going to be in a different captivity. The Babylonians are now gone. And now the big players in the book of Nehemiah and books like Esther um, and Ezra are going to come in. It's the Persian kingdom. Persian kingdom's kind of famous. If you've ever seen the movie 300, um, that Xerxes that's in the movie, that. Is probably not completely historically accurate. And look, uh, I don't think he was eight feet tall and a god. Um, but that's the guy that we're going to read about some in scripture and some of the, the story that's going to be told in Nehemiah. And so at this point, you've got the Babylonians that are no longer there, and now the or the uh, the Jewish people are now enslaved by Persians. And then we look in Second Chronicles chapter thirty six. In Second Chronicles chapter thirty six and verse twenty two. It says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you, all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Now this is very interesting. Now you've got Persian leaders that are going to take over, and next week we'll kind of talk through some of the different ones that were there. But this first one has a very interesting political agenda when it comes to religion. As they conquered all these different people, they had conquered Egyptians, they had conquered Israelites, and they understood, hey, if we're going to administrate a kingdom as big as the kingdom of Persia, we've got to do some reforms that let people still feel like they have a little control. And so one of the areas that they did this, and the Romans would do this to an extent as well, is they let people in these areas continue with their own religion. When they came in and took over Egypt, they let them still worship Ra and all these other Egyptian gods, but it only went to a point. At the point where you kind of tried to push back at the Persians and get rid of them, they would go, oh, we're going to take that away. There's a story where the Persians came into Egypt and they just tore down all these temples because the Egyptians had risen up, but there were some Jewish synagogues in those areas and they didn't touch them. Now, we know that whether it was Cyrus or Artaxerxes or Darius, some of these different ones, we know that they were pretty pagan. Like They, they wanted to use religion to keep their kingdom going. But it is interesting God stirred something up in this guy's heart because God is bigger than a king. God is bigger than any pharaoh. God is bigger than any emperor. That's why when I read 2 Chronicles, I'm immediately taken to Proverbs chapter 21.1. 1. It's one of my favorite verses, and it's one of the most comforting verses that you can hold on to right now in America in a time of craziness. It says, the king is like channels of water in the hands of God. He turns them wherever he pleases. You see, at this moment, God came into the story and said, you know what, I'm going to start stirring some things up even in this pagan guy's heart. And I'm going to start stirring some things up that are going to make my name known. I'm going to start stirring some things up that are going to bring fame to me. I'm going to restore my glory. People will see it. People see it play out. And so this is now about the year 539 B.C. And the Persians take over and start to rule the, the Israelites. And then finally, with kind of that in place, We get to Nehemiah chapter one. In Nehemiah chapter one, in verse one, it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Halakai. Now it happened in the month of Chislev that the 20th year that I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of the brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down And its gates are destroyed by fire. Then verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We're going to stop there. This is now the year 446 B.C. We've had 141 years of exile, literally generations that could early on go, man, I remember freedom. And they would talk about that with their kids and their grandkids and they would tell them stories about when, when we were free in the, the city of Jerusalem, and they passed. And then that generation came up, and they would tell their kids and grandkids. My, my dad, my grandpa could remember a time of freedom. But at this point, all of these people are going, all I know is oppression. All I know is slavery. 141 years of that. That's a big chunk of the history of America, that these people had lived as slaves and in an exile. Knowing that somewhere out there, there was this dream, there was this talk, there was this city that was once ours, there was this land that God had promised to us, but we messed it up and it was taken from us. And then you have Nehemiah. Nehemiah is working in the court of the king of Persia. He was a cupbearer, we'll talk more about that later. But one day, it says, Hanani, his brother, now that could have been his physical brother, it could have just been, you know, that's my brother over there, you know, that kind of thing, we, we don't know exactly, but we know that he brings a message. And we know that Nehemiah says, hey, how are the people that are left there? And he says, man, it's not good. Man, they're in ruin. The city is destroyed. The gates are burned and the walls are crumpled. And Nehemiah asked that. It's not that Nehemiah doesn't know 141 years of history. There had been several groups that had had the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem at that point, and it just hadn't worked out for any of them. They had kind of rebuilt the temple at this point, but the city was still destroyed. All the people that had gone to try and work on it, man, they got run off or killed, and now there were... Stories that, you know, the last group that went to do that, it happened to them as well. And, man, Nehemiah, his response in that is brokenness. It's mourning. It's fasting. He hears the story and just breaks down. And, man, I want to ask, do we, do we have a response like that when we see people that are hurting when we hear about God's name and glory not being made known, like do we, do we respond like Nehemiah did? Because Nehemiah's response is driven out of a deep desire to see God's glory done and his people made known. And as we go into this, we're going to have to try and take on the heart of Nehemiah and the way that he looked at God. And I love his first step, and we're going to talk about it at length next week. But the first thing that Nehemiah does, this unbelievable leader, this, this huge giant that we're going to see, the first thing that he does is pray. He's broken over these people that are lost. He's broken over this city that's been taken. He's broken over the temple not being used to further God's glory. And he breaks down. And the first thing that he does is pray. And we have been called for the same thing, to pray. And so as we begin to walk through this book, I want to ask us to begin to Pray. We're going to look at it. We're going to study it. We're going to see a lot of things to learn. But as we walk into this together, before we even get into the meat and the story of it, let's begin to pray together as a church. So as South Point Church, let's do this. Let's pray that God would use Nehemiah to teach you. That he would show you some things in your life that you go, I, I didn't know that about God. Man, and that, that stirs some excitement up in me and I, I want to know more and I want to grow deeper and I want to I dive into something like this. That he would use this book to teach you things about his name. That he would use this to teach you some of the things that the Israelites hadn't been doing that they had been messing up on that. He would would show us some areas of our life and just kind of peel back some of those layers and go, man, I need to be doing better in this area. Let's pray that Nehemiah would teach us. Let's pray that he would use this book to give you a deep yearning for his word. We will walk through this book in all of its entirety, word by word. And we'll tell some stories through it. We'll learn some things through it. We'll laugh. We'll hopefully grow closer to God. But, man, one of my big prayers is as we walk through a book, man, it stirs something inside of you that goes, man, I want to know more. You want to know more about this? Read Ezra as we go through this book. Read Esther. You'll get a little more of the backstory as well. Several other books. But, man, I pray that this puts a deep yearning for God's word into our people and we grow deeper through that. And finally, as we pray together, let's pray that he will show you your own personal ministry. We know from Ephesians 4 that God has made every one of us a minister. And you may look and go, well, what what does that mean? Do I I get a face mic that my beard keeps messing up? Um, I think that's what that is. Um, Am I going to be on the church staff? No. Being a minister doesn't mean you have to work at a church, but we know that God has called everyone to a ministry. We know that God has called and equipped you for that. God equipped Nehemiah for some absolutely massive things. Nehemiah goes in, and man, he's got organizational skills and administrative skills, military skills. Like, this is a five-talent human being. He's amazing, and God gave him those gifts. And he gave him this desire that said, hey, I'm going to use the things that God blessed me with to go back to Jerusalem, and I'm going to put my mind to it, and I'm going to put prayer to it, and I'm going to rebuild the walls of that city. That became his ministry. What's yours? We've got people that work in a bunch of different areas around here. We've got people that, man, super bless and make our kids' ministry song, strong. We've got people that teach and make men's ministry strong. We've got people that have a desire for something like FPU, and they say, hey, come into this. Like, we could, we could teach you ways to get out of debt. It will help you in life. We've got people with a passion for students. We've got people with a passion for worship. But what is your ministry? And if you go, man, you've said a bunch of things, but that's not mine. Okay, what is it? Like, come and talk to us. If you look around and go, man, I see things that I wish were being done. And, man, you've got this holy burning desire in you to see that. We want to talk. Because, like, one of my prayers is that God would use this time in the book of Nehemiah. We know that God stirred in, a, in this king's heart and changed his heart to let God's will be done. Man, I pray that God will raise up some leaders like that. I pray that God will raise up leaders within our church pray that God will give you a desire for ministry and say, man, I want to use that not for my glory, but to make his name known. And so as we begin to walk through this together, the first thing we're going to do before we do anything is pray and pray and pray, because that's what Nehemiah teaches us from his, the first moment of this book. There's a crisis. There's something bigger than me. I need God to move. And the first thing I'm going to do is pray. As we walk into 2021, we know that, man, we've seen God do some big things. And we want to pray that God continues to do that. And so I want to ask all of us to join in prayer before we start any of it. Let's pray now. God, we love you. God, I'm thankful for your word. It's so many things that it teaches us, God. And we look back at these unbelievable, epic stories. It's your people and it's, it's what you're doing and God, I do pray that as we walk through this book that it would just give us an unbelievable desire to know more about you. That you would teach us some things as individuals, as families, as, as staff, as a church, God. It would give us an unbelievable desire to dig into your word and go, oh, that's the answer that I was looking for. And God, that you would just stir up leaders within this church. God, I know that you've put things on people's hearts and they go, man, I, I, what do I do with that? Use the gifts that God's given you. And God, as we walk through this, we will be unbelievably thankful for grace. And God, if there's anyone that's, that's watching today or here in person, they just go, man, I, I don't know what that grace thing looks like. It's this. Scripture's really clear. We're just not good enough. We mess up, we sin, and that separates us from a holy God but you made salvation possible through your son, Jesus Christ. You made it possible for us to experience grace and mercy. And it's when a person says, hey, I want to turn away from my old life. And I want to follow Christ to make him the Lord of my life. That in that instant, we're made new. And so if that's you today, I would encourage you to just say, God, as, as best as I know how, I, I want that grace. I want that mercy. I don't want my old life anymore. I, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I would encourage you, send us a message on social media, talk to us in person, give us a phone call. We want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate what God is capable of doing, whether it's a snow day or a pandemic or anything that comes against him. God is still God and in control. And man, he's got this. God, even on days like today where it's scrambling and moving and all these different things, here we are able to come together as a body and worship and we say thank you. We ask all of this in Christ's name, amen.